Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogesville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. Acts chapter 16, verse 22 through 34. Let's read that together. We're going to actually, let's, let's start back in verse 19. But when her masters saw that, they, that their prophet, their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them, and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. So as we walk through this together, uh, very what I, I, this is one of my favorite stories in Scripture. I really love this. Um, it's a demonstration of the power of God. It's a demonstration of the faith of God's people. It's a demonstration of their joy in the midst of extreme pain and suffering. It's a demonstration of their hope and their faith. It's a demonstration of their love for their persecutors. It's a demonstration of the power of the gospel to save our enemies. So many things on display right here in this story. And this morning, I just want to encourage you to consider what it looks like to live your faith aloud at times. Uh, When we draw near to the Lord, as many times as we draw near to the Lord privately and personally and intimately, there are times when we draw near to the Lord publicly. And we see that happen right here. First thing that happens is these guys get really upset with them because they messed up their cash flow. And so uh, they sought to, you know, get revenge. They want to silence these guys. They want to put them in the grave if possible. And so they come up with a scheme to get them arrested. So they have them arrested. They have them beaten with rods, which was a customary Roman punishment. 
Um, there was a limit to the number of um, beatings they could take with a rod, but they would usually beat someone to the maximum amount of uh, beatings that they could legally allow someone to be beaten with. It was usually with a rod that was, a, um, that was designed for the purpose of inflicting the most pain and sometimes drawing blood. They'd be hit so many times that it would break the skin. So this is typically a very, very brutal beating that would have taken place. Uh, and then they were thrown into prison um, in addition to having just been beaten, probably very bloody and very bruised and very, um, very much in pain. They're now being taken to a place that is probably not very clean, probably extremely dirty and nasty, and they're chained up. Um, they were commanded, the jailer there was commanded to make sure uh, that they uh, guard these guys securely. So they were given a, an extra command. He says, don't just throw them in jail. He says, these guys need to be guarded securely. Make sure that they don't get out. And in that custom, uh, the, with the uh, Roman, uh, some of the Roman ways, they would require these jailers uh, to make sure that the prisoners did not escape. And part of that requirement what came with a little bit of a a consequence. If they did not do their job well, if they allowed a prisoner to escape, typically uh, whatever sentence was required of that prisoner would now be required of the jailer. So if the sentence was death, the jailer was going to be, uh, would have to suffer the sentence of death for the sake of the prisoner that they had lost. So in order to make sure that he was able to do his job and that this prisoner did not escape, he not only put him in jail, he took him into the inner part of the prison and he put their feet in stocks to make sure that they could not get out. All right, so now it's a very dark and painful scenario. Paul and Silas on mission for the Lord you might look at this and kind of say, well, there, this, if, if we were on a mission trip, we might consider our mission trip to be drastically interrupted, all right? Um, it would be uh, hindered in many ways. Whatever our mission's plan would have been, would have been stopped if we were arrested and thrown in prison. And currently, their plan was to go find people who wanted to know about God and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them and lead them to believe in Jesus Christ. That was their mission. That was their goal, to go to as many places as possible. And now they've been arrested and thrown in jail. But it's not a surprise to God. And most likely, and I believe absolutely, that this was God's plan all along. God's plan was for Paul and Silas to go to Philippi and be arrested and be thrown in jail so that God could put on display his power and his glory and lead a pagan jailer and his family to Jesus Christ. God had his heart on the lives of that jailer and his family, and he knew just the man who could bring the gospel to him, and the only way that was going to happen was to get him thrown in jail. And so that's how the Lord orchestrated the salvation of this man. So let's take a look at what happens next. About midnight, verse 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. The first thing that we notice is that Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise 
to God. Now, I'd like to just notice that uh, they, they sought to draw near to God in pain. And there are a lot of times when I'm struggling, when things are not going well for me, that stopping and drawing near to the Lord isn't always the first thing that comes to my mind. You know, words of praise are not always the first words that come to my lips. And I am challenged and encouraged by seeing my brothers in Christ in extreme pain and suffering. And in that moment, in the middle of the night, most likely when the, all the pain from their beating is really setting in. You know how it is. When you, get, when you get hurt severely, it hurts badly in that moment. But it hurts a lot worse later. Right? So now the pain is setting in. It's extremely dark. They're suffering potentially facing execution. And what are they doing? They're praising God. It says they were singing hymns of praise. And that word hymns, there's different kinds of songs that are sung in the Bible, different words for uh, singing and different words for um, songs and hymns of praise in the Bible. Uh, some of them are songs of lament. Some of them are songs of thanksgiving. And it's, in this instance, they are songs of praise. These were songs of boasting and God, in that moment, in their suffering, in the worst of times, they're bragging on their God out loud. Praising the power and the magnificence and the grace and the goodness and the mercy and the kindness of God. Now you might say, I, when we're going through the most difficult times of life, it's hard to praise God for his kindness and his goodness, and his mercy, because in those moments, sometimes it's hard to see. But the fact is, they were dwelling on the mercy of God that supersedes our temporary pain and suffering. I just thought it'd be really good to take notice of that. I think it's a really good picture of how God wants us to live out our faith. Sometimes we internalize our our groanings and our struggles and our confessions with God and our prayers and our thanksgivings and our praises of God. But notice how they were drawing near to the Lord in this time. They were doing it aloud. They were doing it so loud that everybody else in the prison could hear them doing that. They were doing this. Um, they, were, they were singing and they were praying Allow. Now, I think there's a couple, couple things. Uh, I don't know if they were intentionally doing this for these reasons, but these are some outcomes that I noticed. First of all, I believe that there's a potential that they were doing this as an encouragement to each other. You know, when you pray and you're with a brother, if you're suffering with a brother or a sister in Christ, sometimes it's very encouraging to be able to pray aloud so that your brother and sister in Christ can be lifted up by that prayer to sing aloud so that your brother or sister of Christ can be lifted up by those songs. When we're going through sufferings together, we're drawing near to the Lord together. And so that's why I think maybe they were doing this as Paul was seeking to be an encouragement to Silas, and Silas was seeking to be an encouragement to Paul in the darkest of times, lifting each other up, drawing each other near to the Lord, pointing each other to what was beyond the prison. And I think also they were potentially, we're noticing, I think we notice as a, as a result of this, that the Lord was leading them to do that, not, not just as an encouragement to one another, and not just as an, 
as a joy, a joyful worship to the Lord, but also because the Lord was preaching to the rest of the prisoners and preaching to the jailer by way of these two men just praising God and praying to God through their sufferings. Paul wasn't preaching to those people. Silas wasn't preaching to those people. God was preaching to those people. God was preaching the gospel to them through the testimony of the suffering of his people. Sometimes God does that. And so we see God lifting these people up and encouraging them through the singing and praying. So I just thought, what an encouragement. What a challenge for me to look at that and to be uh, challenged to live my faith in such a way that sometimes people see me draw near to the Lord and hear me draw near to God. Also notice it says that the prisoners were listening to them. And we never know who will be listening to us and who God might be using us to testify to through our sufferings. You never know who's paying attention. You never know who might be impacted. But then let's see what happens next. So as they're singing, it's about midnight. They're praising God and they're singing these hymns of praise. In verse 26, suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. A miraculous event occurred. A powerful earthquake took place. Now in that region, earthquakes are kind of common. But in this instance, it was kind of a unique earthquake. It was an earthquake that caused all the doors in this jail to open at the same time and caused all the chains to fall off at the same time. So you could say, well, earthquakes happen all the time. It probably busted the locks on the jail door and it broke. But I don't know if you've ever, I've, I've never really lived in an area where there's been really severe earthquakes. I've just seen pictures and read about them a little bit. But usually um, earthquakes break things, but they're not really, when something breaks, not necessarily everything breaks, right? And for chains to break off of hands and wrists without breaking the hands and wrists, that's a miraculous event. God was at work. And even if it was entirely, purely natural, we know that there is no such thing that actually happens outside the purview of God's command. God is sovereign over all things. God allows all things. God uses these things for his purposes and his reasons. So God is at work miraculously in this moment. Now, as we remember through Scripture and we're studying that when God does a miraculous thing, it is to signify and to testify that his testimony is authentic and that his gospel is for real. And that the truth that these men are singing about and praying about and teaching about is the truth, the one and only truth. And so here, this God that they are praying to is now interacting with them there in the prison, setting loose everyone that's in the prison, breaking loose the chains, opening all the doors, setting everyone free. The power of God on display. Well, now the prison guard is super scared because he realizes that, that if his prisoners escape, he is, he's going to be uh, punished by the Roman government for letting all these people escape. So um, 
potentially there was more than just Paul and Silas there in this jail. So all those crimes would now he would now be held accountable for. And so when Romans punish people, they like to take it slow. They like to make it painful. They like to draw it out, and they like to watch people die slowly. That was part of their custom. And uh, he knew this was going to be horrible. So he was preparing to kill himself right there in the prison to avoid this suffering. So let's read and see what happens. Verse 27, when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself for we are all here. So even though all the jail doors were opened and all the chains were unfastened, all the prisoners stayed put. They decided not to leave. Well, that's kind of a miracle in and of itself. Because uh, most prisoners, I would think, never been one, but I would think that most prisoners, if the, all the doors swung open, they'd walk right out, maybe run out. But in this, in this instance, they all stayed. The Lord had impressed upon them to stay. And Paul shouted to the man and said, don't kill yourself, because apparently it became evident to Paul. I don't know if he could see what was about to happen or he just or the Lord revealed to him that this man's life was in danger. Don't really know. But Paul came, became aware that this man was about to kill himself. And he says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're not going anywhere. And then the man came into Paul uh, now realizing that this man who was singing all these songs and, and had been talking about the Lord God had been beaten and thrown into prison because they were proclaiming uh, salvation through Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, they were proclaiming a belief in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who was a different God than all of their Greek mythological gods. He is now seeing the power of God on display, and he's saying, and he's terrified. He's terrified. He says, he, uh, he comes in and he says, uh, Paul says, stop, don't harm yourself. We're all here. In verse 29, he called for lights, rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Now, that fear, I believe, was no longer a fear of the Roman government because all the prisoners were still there. He was not afraid of being killed. Now he fears the Lord God. So the Lord used this instance to create the fear of God in this man. God was creating faith in an unbeliever's heart. This is a little bit of what it looks like. Sometimes it starts with an experience that strikes the fear of God in the heart of someone who, who formerly had no fear of God had no belief in God, had no knowledge of God, had no care for God. Maybe he believed in all the other false gods. Maybe he feared those gods, but he didn't fear the one true God. He didn't revere God. He didn't honor God. He didn't respect God. But now he's seen the testimony of Paul and Silas. He's seen the power of the one true God on display. And now he's beginning to believe. And so he comes into these men these men believing that they must know what it takes to be right with this holy God. And he asked the question that everybody must ask. Everybody has to come to a place in our lives where we ask this question. What must I do to be saved? 
Everybody needs to ask that question. Verse 29, he says, He called for lights and rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Before I go too much further, I think, um, I, I think there's a lot of people in the room here that are, you guys are genuine believers in Jesus Christ. I know because I've heard your testimonies and I've seen your faith. I've seen your walk with the Lord, and I've seen this. I've seen you guys do this. I've seen you living your faith out loud, and I rejoice and I praise the Lord for the faith that I see God growing in all of you. And it's encouraging to me. It's uplifting to me. But I believe that there's a potential that there are some in the room today that are you're not sure. You're wrestling in your faith with God. You've struggled with belief. You've struggled wondering if God could love a person like you. Maybe because you know the extent of your own sin and you feel condemned and you feel ashamed and you feel guilty and you're weighed down by that and you're, you're not sure if you are in a right relationship with God. In fact, maybe you even know you're not. Maybe you know that you are living in rebellion. You've just allowed sin to go in your life un, undealt with. That's just who you are, and that's, that's the way you've always been. My encouragement to you would be to um, hear this this morning. Listen to this. You know, we, come, we walk through Scripture every week. And I know it's easy to come and listen and go home and it just go through the motions. But I, I really want to encourage you to hear this and to think about this question and ask and and ask yourself if you would be willing to ask God this question. God, what do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to be saved? And the answer to that comes in verse 31. And you might be looking for something a little more complicated than this, but it's not. This is a very simple answer. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and all your household. Because at that point, um, uh, he, was, uh, he was going to, he knew he was going to be gathering his household together, and they were going to preach the gospel to all of them as well. But that's the answer here. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Trust in Jesus. Trust that Jesus is God that God sent his only son to die on the cross so that he could pay your punishment for sins. That he could take your punishment upon himself, take it to the cross, bury it in the grave, and rise again to give you a new life. Believe that. Believe that that's what Jesus did for you. Believe that, that the creator of the heavens and the earth did that for you and came to save your soul from the sins that you're now living in. Believe that Jesus came to do that for you. Scripture says you will be saved. So I'm encouraging you, if that's where your heart's at, to cry out to the Lord Jesus for salvation. If we keep reading, it says, verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. So now this jailer, who was once a cruel, cruel man, 
is now tending to their wounds and feeding them and welcoming the prisoners into the into his house jailers from what i've read about jailers in the roman culture they were considered to be extremely cruel uh, because it was their profession and because it was something that they they did on a daily basis regularly um, torturing and beating and imprisoning people that's what their life was all about it, they became callous to that sort of thing and they became generally unemotional and they became very cruel types of people. I believe this is an evidence here that this man's heart was completely changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Lord had put in him a compassion towards these men and he was now tending to their wounds. He was welcoming them into his house and he was feeding them and they were rejoicing together as brothers and sisters in Christ and then Paul and Silas immediately took um, took the jailer and his family, and they baptized all of them on that day. He and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. A few things that I think uh, we ought to pray for as Christians when we're reading these um, this story. To me, it's again, it's one of my favorites uh, I, because of all the things that we see in this. But I'd like to invite you to pray that God will help us to draw near to him, no matter what the circumstances are. We have, I think we kind of, we probably do have a lot of really good circumstances that we get to enjoy um, where, where we live. And I think it's good for us to remember that we still need God and we need to draw near to God every day. Pray that God would help us to draw near to him in all the good times, but then also pray that God will help us to draw near to him when we're suffering and we're, when we're in anguish. That God would help our hearts with that because sometimes we don't feel strong enough. Sometimes we feel weak. We feel beaten down. We feel oppressed. And sometimes those circumstances can feel very, very dark and heavy. But I would encourage you to ask God now while you're maybe a little bit stronger to give you the strength to draw near to him no matter what the circumstances and pray that God will help us not to be ashamed to let people see and hear us draw near to God. That there may be times when the spirit leads you to sing aloud or to pray aloud. And that might be different for you or different for, for, for your environment, whether it's at work or whether it's at home, around the house, or going down the road in your car or wherever. Or sometimes right here even ch in church. You know, it's in the American culture, it's really not manly for a man to sing really loud. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe it is, maybe it's not, but it just doesn't seem like it's culturally acceptable. You know, in churches, most of the men kind of stand and, we stoically mouth the words kind of quietly, you know. Maybe there's a little squeak of a sound that comes out every once in a while. But some of that, I think, uh, I think it's just, I don't know, it's part of our culture, but I'm a little envious of some cultures where all the men just joyfully get together and they burst out in song together and, you know, dance and, and all those things, just all their emotions... They just seem to really enjoy life and enjoy worshiping 
God. Sometimes they're doing that to worship false gods, and that's a whole other story. But sometimes I'm a little envious of just the freedom that people have. And uh, just pray that God would help us to express our faith aloud and to not internalize everything. I think it's really good for those around us. It's good for the faith of our children. It's good for the faith of our brothers and sisters in Christ to see us living our faith aloud. Sometimes even expressing our hurts and our struggles and asking for help or, you know, just praising God and rejoicing. And, and, um, and that's a challenge to me because I'm a very stoic kind of person, I feel like. You know, I, I have a hard time letting my emotions be out there in the front. Uh, but pray for the lost also, that they will hear and believe in Jesus Christ and believe that Jesus is our Savior. Believe that Jesus is their Savior. Pray that they will be saved. Because that's what we want to see as we, as we live our lives for God and as we live our faith and as we live our faith aloud, we want to see people come to know Jesus Christ. We want to see people hear our testimony of faith and believe. So let's pray for those things together this morning. God- Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24-26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.